Okay. Welcome to Seattle on Tap. I am Courtney Jacobson. And I am Ashley Toten. Hello. Greetings. Happy beer and crazy murder stories day. Yes. Or history. Or sometimes. And or. <laughs> I think we are um, flip-flopping styles, maybe, if you will, today. Yes. <laughs> uh, how are things going? Uh, all things considered not too shabby. Um, like I was telling you earlier, I had to take a mini power break from Mere Deer again, just mm -hmm. mostly, you know, can't focus on that shit all the time or it makes you sad. Yeah. Um, but it's been very nice out. Um, with the exception of the crazy ass rainstorm we had a couple of nights ago. Yeah, that was awesome. It was so cool. Um, I heard the thunder and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was outside when it started and was like, maybe I should walk faster. I'm going to run now. I'm running now. <laughs> yeah, I saw you had like a, a little video on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I was like, ooh, she's out in it. <laughs> yes. Thankfully, we weren't very far. Yeah. Oh, man. I um, was very much not out in it. I was in the comforts of my home that I almost never leave. <laughs> <laughs> but that's by choice. Mm -hmm. Sort of. Well, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I, speaking of, I will, in about, uh, what, takes two weeks, so in 14 more, or no, 13 more days, I will be officially done marinating, <laughs> as we say. <laughs> I got my final shot yesterday, and I got very lucky. I thought I was so prepared to be extra sick and just a total wimpy shit show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had, I mean, you could, you could barely call it a fever. I was like, walked over to Gordon. I don't feel super good. I'm kind of achy. Do I have a fever? <laughs> He was like, I can't tell if you just feel almost like a normal person or <laughs> you have a fever. Because <laughs> I'm always so cold. Mm, me too. Yeah, I got a little warm. I got a little achy. And then it was gone. Like, I was achy for like three hours-ish. I slept like crap. But, I mean, mostly because my arm hurt really bad. <laughs> And I kept leaning on it because that's the side I sleep on. Ugh. You know. I mean, all things considered, that's pretty good then. I mean, really. Like, talk about the absolute least of all the problems. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was yesterday morning that I got the shot. And then... Um, you know, super, super mild symptoms. And then 
mostly just tired today and my arm hurts. So basically I'm just a big goofy whiner. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is I hear beer cures that. Yeah. Oh, that's the other kind of funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get mad at me, Mark Bauschke. Um, <laughs> he will. He will. <laughs> he will. Whatever. Um, I had, I was telling you, I had to drink a, a pre-funk beer because I prepped to be sick so well that, um, I got myself a, uh, barely a beer. Um, it's like, I guess it's more juice than, than beer. <laughs> when you say juice, do you mean like J-O-O-S? No. <laughs> Those gross fucking, what are they? Malt beverage things? <laughs> Nasty. I got myself a grapefruit Rattler. <laughs> oh, that'll do. That'll do just fine. It's, you know, the, the things you drink 18 of um, when it's nice and sunny and you're hanging out outside in the sun all day. You don't want to, like, be ham-boned all day. You want to be able to just keep a fairly decent buzz going. So you drink some of these and the occasional shot. <laughs> Which one did you get? Well, my story <laughs> is in Austria. Okay. Today, I love the attitude I just got. I well, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> My blonde was extra showing real quick. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. um, see, I'm telling you, no sleep and I am <laughs> just a giant goofball. So back to what I was saying. Um, my story is in Austria, so I chose a beer from Austria's largest private brewing company, private since 1492, I'm talking about Stiegel, Yum. and it's their Grapefruit Radler, which I've had before, it is very delicious, um, but the, uh, it's made in, um, Salzburg. Austria and the ABV is <laughs> let's just say you can drink this in Utah with no problems it is 2.25 <laughs> I think that some kombucha has more alcohol than that mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> I'm I'm telling you when I prep for things I really prep for a thing <laughs> Having said that, Stiegel tastes like sunshine and happiness. Like it is like delish. Like the grapefruit smell alone is just so like, like a very lovely grapefruit juice that you would want to drink in the morning. Hey, this oh, it's is a breakfast beer. <laughs> juice beer. But yeah. Yeah. It's delicious. I'm going to drink this way too fast and still be very sober. <laughs> the good news is you have a beer fridge downstairs, so. And a husband that I could probably convince to go get me one from. You could just text him and be like, SOS, need beer. <laughs> stat. Oh, <yeah. laughs> More Stiegel, stat. 
help send me here <laughs> but real ones this time yeah for reals ones <laughs> what are you drinking Whew. um first of all the beer i'm drinking is fucking magical um i have to burp because i've been drinking it for a minute um, so this is the Wildflower Blending and Brewing Solera, and this is poll number five. Um, they are from Merrickville, uh, New South Wales in Australia. Hmm. And so I wrote my notes because it occurred to me that some folks might not know what a Solera is, but a Solera is a process of aging liquids such as wine, beer, vinegar, and brandy by fractional blending in such a way that the finished product is a mixture of ages with the average age gradually increasing as the process continues over many years. Mm -hmm. um, this particular uh, beer, they are doing pulls of every four to six months. Um, yeah, which is pretty cool. Um, but this is an uh, Australian wild spelt beer that is fooder aged. Um, the recipe is similar to their gold, which we actually just had on tap at Beverage Place um, for our um, oh, yeah. Seattle Beer Week thing mm -hmm. that I couldn't stop drinking it. <laughs> um, but instead of being made with wheat, this is with spelt. Hmm. Um, the fifth pull, uh, so whenever they do a pull, they take half of the entire volume of their 200 I'm sorry, 2,400 liter fooder, which is jeez, oh, uber fooder. Hello. And um, <laughs> you heard me. <laughs> uber fooder. <laughs> That's also my new superhero name. Um, so they pulled the fifth batch, July 24th, 2019, and they packaged it on the same day. So this was bottled the day they did that. Hmm. Um, it has some really interesting notes. So it says at the time of the release, when they bottled it, the notes they made were that it had aromas of perfumed rose blossom, sweet, juicy mandarin, and subtle funk mingling with nutmeg, cinnamon, and vanilla. Uh, I don't smell the rose blossom at all anymore. Um, Blix is trying to get all your attention again. Um, <laughs> I definitely smell the citrus. And I can totally get the like, you know, pie spices and maybe vanilla action in there. But it is freakishly smooth. Like I could probably just chug this. However, it is very tart. Hmm. Very tart. Get you in the tarty parts, as you like to yeah. say. <laughs> um, also fun facts about this beer. Sorry, I'm reading you in a novel. Um, but the base beer is brewed completely with um, cereal grains from New South Wales which is pretty cool, but it's also made with um, a couple of hop varieties that, well, one of which I've really only seen a couple of times, which is Matuka from New Zealand, and then also Saz hops, both of which are really yummy. So it's kind of a fun mend of flavors. And I'm curious to see how, well, A, how hard it's gonna be to find other poles here, yeah. <laughs> but to see how they change over time. Yeah. I'm really, really curious to see how they change. Where did you find that one? Um, you can get it at the Beer Junction and you can also get it at Beverage Place Pub. Oh, yay. Mm -hmm. I got mine at Beer Junction and then saw that we had it at Beverage Place and I was like, well. <laughs> I am due for a Beverage Place outing. 
You could also probably get it like full throttle bottle and mm. places like that too. Tap house type producers. That's mm-hmm. funny that I'm drinking an Austrian beer and you're drinking an Australian beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the end, we're going to tell people to drink local beer. Yes. <laughs> local to wherever you're from. Maybe we have listeners in Australia. <laughs> that would be badass. Or Austria. <laughs> Can I come live with you? (laughs) Oh, man, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. So I said that my I chose my beer not only based on expecting to feel like warmed over caca, um, but also I wanted to have a um, I wanted to have an Austrian beer because my story is based in Austria. Now, before I go on, I'm just gonna just gonna give a disclaimer. Um, I will put a note in the show notes for a timestamp because if um, stories of uh before i don't want to give away too much but if stories of um incest and rape are gonna trigger anything um go ahead and take a look at the show notes and uh skip ahead to that point uh because you're not gonna like what i'm gonna tell you about (laughs) so with that knowledge (laughs) uh sit back because I got a heavy one for you. <laughs> I'm ready. I have my dream beer over here. Let's do it. Sip lightly because I've, it's a big one. Um, most of what I could find out there for other podcasts that cover this story, they had to split it between two, three, and more episodes. I am not going to do that. I'm going to give you a quick abridged version because I'm really not trying to go super deep into some of these things. Uh, But uh, it's a big one. All right. So enough, (laughs) I guess, waiting around. All right. So I'm going to talk to you about Elizabeth Fritzel and her disappearance. Sort of. So Elizabeth Fritzel, born April 6th, 1966, in Amstetten, Austria. She was born into a very large family. Her parents were Joseph and Rosemary. She had four sisters and two brothers. And Miss Elizabeth was smack in the middle of them. Three olders, three youngers. Surreal Jan Brady over there. Yeah. Um, she, uh, sadly, at 11 years old, Elizabeth's dad began sexually abusing her. Um, nothing is really known as to... Like, nothing is publicly known as to whether or not he abused any of his other daughters. But, um, other, 
friends of the family, close people to the family gave various accounts of how they noticed that he treated Elizabeth differently and that they thought he hated his daughter Elizabeth because he was really harsh on her. Um, <clears throat> one in particular that his, this family friend, his children, his three children played with um, the oldest three Fritzl children. Uh, he noticed like they, their families would go on vacations together and stuff sometimes. Uh, anyway, this guy noticed uh, that he treated Elizabeth a lot differently, that he was really harsh on her, that he was often very, very quick to scold her, correct her, and beat her. Which, you know, this is back in the late 70s, where, you know, spanking slash beating your children was just a form of punishment. So, also, it's Austria, and um, Joseph grew up, well, he was born in the height of World War II when Austria was very much occupied by the Nazis. So just a little, a mini bit of his background. I'm not, again, I'm not going to go much into his background because honestly, I just don't give a fuck and I don't care about his excuses. So anyway, back to Elizabeth. Uh, when she was 15 and had finished her compulsory education, at the time in um, Austria, children were only required to go up to a certain amount of just kind of regular in-school education. And then by 14 or 15, they had finished a certain portion and then they could either go into pre-collegiate or go into a four-year um, vocational training type direction of their schooling. Elizabeth went into the vocational side of things. So at 15, she began um, a vocational course to become a waitress, which for us, that's like, you just do it, you know, <laughs> you just get hired and you learn on the spot, you know, but this was again, a totally different time. And this is Europe where every job has a lot more training and a lot more, not just respect from others, but respect from within and four years to learn any and everything about becoming a waitress. All right. So a couple years later in January of 1983, she ran away from home. Gee, I wonder why. And hid out at a, um, a friend's house that she worked with, uh, in Vienna is where the friend's house was. Um, sadly within just three weeks, the police, found her and brought her, brought her back home. Uh, and she ended up, I mean, it was only three weeks she was gone. So she just went right back into her training 
And she ended up graduating in mid-1984, so about a year and a half later, graduating from her waitressing training. And um, after graduating, she was offered a job in Lentz. That was about a 42-minute drive from her family home in Amstetten. Sadly, uh, she never actually was able to go to that job because um, in, on August 28th of 1984, she disappeared. Her mom, very, very distraught, filed a missing persons report the very next day. And sadly, even though they searched and really followed up with every avenue they could, the police came up short and couldn't really come find any clues to where she was. And um, the case just went cold. Um, about a month after she had disappeared, Joseph brought a letter into the police that had been mailed. Big, you know, quotation marks there. Uh, from Elizabeth. It was postmarked from, I'm going to say this wrong, but Brownow. Also still Austria. It was about a, almost a two hour drive from where their family home was. And in this letter, it stated that she had run away to stay with a friend, warned that warned her parents not to come get her, but she wanted them to know that she couldn't handle living with her family anymore. And um, she had moved in with people that understood her more, something to that effect. And Joseph said, I'm pretty sure she joined a cult because she had mentioned it before. So his wife and Elizabeth's mom was like, okay, yeah, I believe you. And the police were like, well, you're her dad, you know. Okay. So they closed the case. And, uh... That was that. The world went on. Um, obviously, that is not where this, this story ends or I would not be telling it. This would be a very boring, okay, bye, you know. <laughs> so where was Elizabeth taken? Turns out she technically never left the home. Oh, no. Um... The day that she disappeared, uh, her dad had asked her to help him with a door that he needed to take down to the basement and finish this remodeling project he'd been working on uh, down in their basement. Uh, he was an engineer and his workshop where he laid out the plans and built all of his machines. I don't know what these machines were. I couldn't really find anything on that. No, apparently nobody cares. Nothing creepy about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
his workshop where he did all this engineering uh, was in the basement of his home. And um, so he had gotten approval to expand his basement. And it took him about six years to make these improvements on his workspace. And, uh, well, it was a bunker. And that bunker, basically, he made some improvements on his um, workspace that everyone, you know, you go downstairs and you could see it. But um, no one was aware of just how much excavation he had done. Uh, this bunker that he had gone and excavated was uh, hidden behind a series of eight locked doors, one of which had a hidden keypad, the final door, had, like, that you walk into the basement was concealed you couldn't even tell it was a door and there was a hidden keypad that only he knew where the keypad was let alone what the code, code was yeah. oof yeah so he has elizabeth help him hang this door it's like the final one on the inside of the bunker so it's like you shut that one then come out and shut another and another and then you're in the workspace the general area of the basement and then you go upstairs so he had her help him with this door and then ever so slyly he takes a towel that he had soaked in ether Puts it over her mouth and nose. I think we all know what happens there. She passes out. He shoves her into the bunker, locks that door and the other seven. And she is in there. And she did not leave for 24 years. Oh my God. She was 18 years old when he put her in there. Yeah. Okay. So shoves her in there and here's where it gets worse <laughs> oh perfect i know <laughs> sorry I need more alcohol hold on <laughs> yeah so after a couple days he goes in and before chaining her to the bed that he had in there for her um, he forces her to write a letter saying that she had run away, can't be with the family. The one that he then drives to this town to mail from there, then comes back home to await his plan. Yeah. So, um, now everybody believes she's gone ran away well now that all of his expansions for his workshop are complete um he goes down to his work little worker area his office if you will at 9 a.m every day 
Sometimes he worked so hard because he is just a hard working man that cares about his family. And since the disappearance of his daughter, he just poured himself into work because what else would you do being such a distraught father? Sometimes he would even stay the night down in his office. I wish people could see the progression of the face I'm making because it's not good. And the gross face that I'm making, yeah. Ugh, yeah, so we can all pretty much see through this. He's not working. He's going into the bunker and torturing his 18-year-old daughter starting at 9 a.m. every single day. Um, sometimes she would get a break and it would only be three times a week. But, uh, yeah, he would bring her food there this bunker that he had made um obviously there's no windows or anything so electricity he had fitted it with uv light he had ventilation not great ventilation but some ventilation um he had a toilet a shower a series of hot plates so she could cook food um there was a little fridge eventually he also gave her a freezer um sink i mean like there was a whole ass apartment down in this bunker um so after a while he let her out of the chains um, and he threatened her that if she ever tried to escape, he had it rigged up that if she ever tried to leave, uh, deadly gases would immediately fill the bunker and she would just die. That guy watched too many James Bond movies. He lived through World War II. Like that was him from zero to 10 years old living through that and you know the nazis occupied where he was from like this area and his mom was not a good mom she had him essentially only as quote an alibi baby back at when he was born in the 30s and before that like women were considered only good for one thing having babies so if you couldn't have a baby you had no worth and she had to long story short she proved that she had worth she could have a baby she didn't like want him want to like parent him or anything but so he he, he grew up not um in the best way but also a lot of other people grew up in not the best way there were a lot of other alibi babies out there growing up in the same time period and they did not grow up to do any of this shit. So anyway, um, so yeah, that's where his head was, you know, going straight to, I'm going to gas ya. <laughs> um, so two years into her captivity, she became pregnant. We know. Yeah. Um, sadly, she ended up having a miscarriage 
So at this point, she is 20 years old now. She has a miscarriage at about 10, roughly 10 weeks or so of her pregnancy. Uh, but wait, there's more. Two more years go by and she gives birth to Kirsten on in August of 1988. Two more years go by and she gives birth to Stefan. And these two children stayed down in this bunker with her. And now she actually has someone to talk to. She has to teach them how to talk, but she has someone to talk to. Because sadly, for the first five years of her being down there, her father would, yes, rape her and torture her, but he barely spoke any words to her. Ugh. And she was required to stay silent as well. So, um, then May 19th of 1993, a nine month old baby named Lisa is quote discovered outside the family home with a note written from Elizabeth on how she can't care for this baby and children are not allowed at the cult where she lives. So she's begging her parents to take in this child that she had. Mm -hmm. uh, so of course, Rosemary, her mom is like, you know, oh, this is a piece of my daughter that's gone missing. Of course I'm going to care for this baby. And um, they go through the steps and they end up officially adopting Lisa. So that was May 19th, 1993. And then December 15th, 1994, another baby, another baby girl about the same age. This one's named Monica. Same thing dropped off at the doorstep with a note that says, again, I need you to take in this child. I can't have her here, blah, blah, blah. And they adopt her as well. So then at some point in 1996, Elizabeth gives birth to twin boys. Oh, fuck's sake. <sighs> One of them dies not too long after being born, like days. He was born with breathing problems and Joseph, of course, is not going to let this baby go out without like, you know, not going to like take this baby to the hospital or anything because that's too many questions. So he lets the baby die. And um, then he takes and reportedly burns the body in a trash incinerator. Real awful. Um, and that baby's name was Michael. Or, um, and then the one that survived, Alexander, was allowed to remain in the bunker with his mom, Kirsten, and Stefan. 
until he was 15 months old. And then Joseph was like, he's too much of a crybaby. He's going to draw too much attention. I got to bring him upstairs. So he is also, quote, discovered, dropped off, note, blah, blah, blah. So now her parents have, quote, adopted three of these children that she can't care for, supposedly. Um, then in 2003, she has another son. This one named Felix, and he is not too much of a crybaby, so he is allowed, he is permitted to stay in the bunker. Like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now at this point, she has three children living with her down in the bunker. She has three children upstairs that basically don't even remember she exists or don't remember at least the bunker or anything of that. All they know is that their mom gave them up and that their grandparents graciously took them in. Um, so through all this time in the bunker, um, life was not just awful because they were held captive, underground, never seeing daylight. Um, but also because Joseph was a complete psychopath. Uh, <laughs> if he ever got mad at Elizabeth for whatever reason, or mad at her kids for whatever reason, he would punish them by cutting off their electricity. And sometimes he would just stop delivering food for days at a time. They would be in complete darkness with no airflow, no electricity, no food for like days because he was mad. Somebody has a fucking God complex. Yeah. Gross. Um, Oh, but wait, there's more. Um, he was also very physically abusive. Um, apparently he was very physically abusive to his wife upstairs and his children upstairs and his pre his grand regular sort of his children, grandchildren, whatever they were. <sighs> yeah. Um, and neighbors say that he ruled his household like a tyrant or a dictator um he was known to punch and kick elizabeth leaving lasting um injuries that would take a long time like that you know you generally go to a hospital to deal with but nope um, uh, let's see, um, oh yeah, even more disgusting. He had a room down in this bunker that was soundproofed and, uh, he had brought a TV and VCR down to the bunker so that in that room he could force Elizabeth to watch porn with him and then force her to act out 
all the scenes that she saw in these videos. And as the children, the three that remained down in the bunker started to get a little older, he forced them to sit in this room and watch everything. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and apparently he brought many, 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 like upwards of hundreds of VHS tapes down there that were all porns. So, um, also sometimes just because he would get mad or to punish the children down in the bunker, um, he would show them pictures of children outside playing, enjoying freedom and life that they never had ever seen. And he told them they would never have. <sighs> so fast forward to one day, um, Kirsten, who is 19 now, Jesus gets sick. And this is in uh, 2008 now. She's Kirsten, or Kirsten is 19. She gets really sick and it gets really bad super fast. Um, to the point where she is so sick, she's unresponsive and they don't know what's wrong. And of course, you know, Elizabeth, these are quite literally her entire world, these three children down there. That is all she has, the only bit of happiness. And um, so she is begging and pleading for Joseph to take Kirsten to the hospital. Like, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what happens. Just please help her. Um, so he finally agrees he makes Elizabeth help him carry Kirsten upstairs, but then he shuts her back down in the bunker. So for the first time in 24 years, she got to see actual daylight for moments just to carry her 19 year old daughter upstairs and then go back in to be imprisoned. And um, so he takes her up and calls an ambulance, they come and get her, they take her to the hospital, and they're like, wait, what's happening? He says, yeah, I, I forgot to bring it with me, but um, our daughter Elizabeth, she ran away, blah, blah, blah. Um, she's dropped these other children off at our doorstep, and we didn't even know that this, this Kirsten um, existed, but apparently she did, and and um, she brought her and dropped her off on our doorstep saying, please help her. And, you know, we did the only thing we knew what to do, which was call an ambulance and, you know, complete bullshit story. So, um, of course, <laughs> doctors are like, mm, this is fishy. I don't know about this. They can't figure out what the heck's going on with her because, of course, there is zero medical history there, let alone anywhere, because she mm -hmm. has never in her life seen a doctor. Her poor mom, Elizabeth, had to have her down in this bunker by herself based off a childbirth book written in the <clears throat> 1960s. 
Sounds super safe. Yeah. So um, they hold a press kind of, they go on TV and they, on the news, beg for the family and the doctors, beg for Elizabeth to come forward because she's supposedly at this cult. And for friends and or family of of Kirsten to come forward so they can learn something and try to figure out what's wrong with her so they can take her out of this like coma essentially and help her so she doesn't die. Um, obviously no one comes forward because no one knows her except for the people in the bunker. Um, so this starts you know piquing the police's interest obviously and they start questioning trying to question kirsten she's in and out of it they question joseph of course he's not given anything up and they start noticing really strange bits of joseph's stories and so he's they're like wait can we need to come and see these letters that you have that Elizabeth has written and, uh, you know, given you to drop her children off. And so they go back, they go to the house, they read these letters and there's holes and things that just don't match up in these letters and in his stories. And they're like, Hmm, I don't know about this. All the while, Elizabeth down in the bunker is begging and pleading for him to please let her go and visit her daughter in the hospital. Finally, he gives in. He takes her out of the bunker for the first time in 24 years. Well, aside from letting her drag her lifeless child, basically up some stairs. Um, so April 26, 2008, she leaves the bunker to never return. She gets to visit Kirsten in the hospital. Obviously police are there <laughs> kind of guarding things, trying to figure out what the heck's going to happen. And, um, when Elizabeth comes to the hospital, they let her visit with her daughter, but then they take her in for questioning and they take Joseph in again too. separate rooms, you know, get your like, movie scene in your head of like interrogation room one and interrogation room two separate rooms and uh they're asking her questions asking her questions she's just not saying a word and then finally she basically says if you can promise me that i will never ever have to see my father again then i will tell you everything and they're like huh <laughs> <laughs> come again uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> we kind of got some shady vibes too so spill it <laughs> and she does she's like okay get out some paper because i'm about to tell you about the last 24 years so <laughs> it all started with a door and she goes through all of it tells him everything describes the bunker basically draws out a little um map kind of a layout of the bunker talks about the seven children that she had 
uh, everything. Um, and, uh, sadly, her mom, Rosemary, quite honestly, never freaking had a clue. I was just going to ask, did she actually not know or? Uh. He was, he had ruled with such force. Um, also when Joseph and Rosemary, um, got married, she was 17 and he was 21. He was already, um, a really awful person and had been in jail for some other things. Um, one was a rape. So, you know, some people never learn. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he, she learned how to survive and that was to never question anything of him and to just try to just accept everything and live because Ugh. he also beat his wife. And, um, anyway, here's, here's a, here's a fun little thing that I had not brought up yet. Um, so this family home had been in Joseph's family for many, many generations. Um, and, uh, during World War II, his mom started renting out the ground floor to tenants to try and make up some money because she's a single woman with a child and not a lot of choices of how to make money. So that continued when Joseph took over the home and moved his family in. So his family had the top floor, the main like nicer it's a huge huge home um and then there was a ground floor apartment and then down below that was the cellar slash or basement slash his work space and over these 24 years about 100 different 100 tenants had lived in this space and not a single one of them had ever suspected anything or heard anything. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. So she so Elizabeth again, she told police everything. Obviously Joseph gets arrested March 19th, 2009. Uh after a 4-day trial. <laughs> Joseph Fritzel pleads guilty to murder by negligence of the twin that died. Yeah. Incest, enslavement, rape, coercion, and false imprisonment. He gets life in jail. He's still there. I was going to say no child abuse charges. Well, it's basically in all that. The enslavement, the the rape, the false imprisonment. I mean, but yeah. Yeah. But he's still in prison. Yeah, he's still in prison. He was taken, he was sentenced a matter of days before his 74th birthday. And that was in 2009. And 
I couldn't find anywhere that it listed his death. So he's still there. But um, Elizabeth and her children, her six children, are thought to be still to get still together today. Uh, they were all moved to what is called Village X. Um, they were all, well, they were first taken to a psychiatric hospital where they were all given a lot of treatment and help first. And then they were taken to this Village X. It's a teeny tiny, un, I mean, it has a name, but um, never to be disclosed a small village in Austria that um, the house is under constant CCTV. Um, they have guards keeping track of the house um, the 24-7. The village is so small that it's one of those where everyone knows everyone. It's so, so teeny, teeny, tiny. Um, that essentially everyone in the village is down to protect this family. They've been through enough. And one reporter even went to the town, like finally figured out what it was. And um, went to this little village and several townspeople was like, oh, we don't know who this guy is, surrounded him. And we're like, who are you? Why are you here? They figured out that he was a reporter and they ran him out of town. Good. Yeah. I thought that, I just think that's so amazing. And um, apparently Elizabeth, I mean, they were all given different names. I mean, the whole, you know, kind of under protection, witness protection sort of thing. Um. But uh, she attempted to have a relationship with her mom, but her mom had so much guilt. And there was this level of disbelief from Elizabeth that, like, there's sure. just no way she couldn't have known kind of thing. Uh, and so neither one of them could really ever get over it. So uh, Rosemary kind of town like has started a new life which you know you you can't really blame her with that no they both that's a lot for both yeah people that's a lot um but rosemary's sister um elizabeth's aunt does have a continuing relationship with elizabeth and the children and has told folks that they are moving on with their lives. They are a part of their community. Um, the three children that were the underground children um, have started becoming more, I guess, normal. And um, they're all still together. And uh, apparently Elizabeth has even fallen in love. Good for her. Yeah, they all have um, uh, enough money that they're, you know, living modestly but taken care of. Uh, there's a apparently a 
child, like a yearly child allowance from the country. Um, and so they issued that in bulk to Elizabeth, like her. Like retroactive, like, hey, yeah. you get 24 years of it right now. I mean, not 24. Or whatever, you know what I mean. But yeah, like 19 and six, what, 17 and, you know, count back. <laughs> but yeah, um, it was 54,000 euros in uh 2008 or no 2009 but um there were other things that she that were given and or owed to her so they're living fine and they're living as normal and healthy a life as they can they've i mean it's also a country where they take care of people's health so they have had a lot of therapy like they basically just have therapy for life and so they're all doing well i can't imagine the fucking nightmares that the people that were in the basement mm -hmm. or the bunker the whole time mm -hmm. how fucked up they must be from that yeah they apparently live with all the doors always open inside the house um just from trauma they can't bear to have bedroom bathroom any of those doors closed ever so but you know they they're able to attend schools and go to restaurants and have friends yeah and see, see the, the outside yeah exactly apparently oh the littlest um uh, Felix, um, for the first several weeks of him being out and when they were in the, um, the, you know, mental therapy hospital, um, he just sat in the yard, like touching, caressing the grass all day, days at a time. Cause he had never seen it. It's such a trip. Yeah. Like all these tiny things that we all just take for granted and like breathing clean air. <laughs> the rain. Yeah. The fucking sun for that matter. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Apparently when the police had um, raided the house to bust open the bunker and, you know, rescue the other two children, uh, and they were taking pictures and, you know, taking out evidence and, you know, all of that. They had to take quite a few breaks because the air was so stifling and um, just not, like, there just wasn't enough oxygen in the air that they all had to, they would get lightheaded and have to come out and take a lot of breaks. Oh my God. <laughs> that is a fucked up story Courtney yeah so you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> it makes me happy that I'm doing a more light-hearted mm -hmm. historic story than um anything too crazy yeah Ugh. on that note I need a break and maybe a second beer
Yeah, I'm probably going to get a second beer because this one's about to be gone. <laughs> My juice box is almost gone. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. So we're back. I hope everyone is okay. <laughs> Sorry, but also that's a really crazy story. There was a, a, well, I say a good story, but I don't mean it the way it probably sounds to some people. Yeah. I mean, makes you appreciate some things in life that maybe you would have overlooked. Like a whole fucking bunch of them, perhaps. <laughs> like knowing what clouds look like. <laughs> oh, God. Yikes. I'm probably going to have horrible fucking nightmares tonight because of your story. Well, you're welcome for that. <laughs> <sighs> well, what you got? Thankfully, not a story like that today. Um, I actually was, um, zoning out on a thing like I do at times mm -hmm. and was just kind of reading about some old wild west tales and things like that. Oh. And it kind of just, I had one of those moments of like humbling where you're like, hold on, these were real people in these tall tales. A lot of the time, sometimes not always, but, and I was like, you know what, instead of doing a murder story this week, I'm going to just talk about one of those people from history that we've probably heard about, but we might not know a bunch about. Okay. Um, and the person I chose to talk about today is, as y'all know her, Calamity Jane. Yes. <laughs> um, her story is not by any means as um, wild as you probably think it is. However, fascinating that this woman actually lived. I'm just blown away. Okay. So a lot of folks, including you, Courtney, might have heard of her from the famous frontier mm -hmm. stories that we all know and love from our childhoods and things. Yeah. Um, or you might just be familiar with the name because of the TV show, Deadwood which oh. I highly recommend if you have not seen. It's very good. And it has my boyfriend, Ian McShane, which yeah. Daniel thinks is so fucking funny. Ian McShane is like my grandparents' age and I think he is just dreamy. Hey. <laughs> He's got that thing. Um, anywho, you might just think that she was potentially a character made up along the way, but she was a real woman. However, she did kind of make her shut up as she went, which we'll all learn now. Hmm. So without further ado, this is the real story of Calamity Jane, AKA Ms. Martha Jane Canary was what her birth name was. Interesting. Huh. She was born in 1852 in Princeton, Missouri and was the oldest of six kids. And as the oldest sibling in my own family, I can only imagine how much responsibility a kid would have to take on in the 1800s, <laughs> let alone in the fucking late 80s and 90s when I grew up and my parents would. Oh, I got no thank yous from me. <laughs> to, 
go home and watch Saved by the Bell and shut the fuck up. That's yeah. pretty much, you know. <sighs> so considering that on top of the fact that it was the 1800s, it also wasn't very helpful for her that her father, whose name was Robert Wilson Canary, had a very severe gambling problem. And it was rumored that her mom, who there actually is not a lot of any documentation historically about, it was rumored that she may have been a pretty severe alcoholic. Mm. So all things considered, her home life probably fucking sucked. I mean, didn't everyone's back then? (laughs) Right. Um, When Martha was about, Martha Jane, we'll call her, was about 13 years old, her dad decided that he wanted to try to move his family west to insert himself in some way into the gold rush that was starting to take place, Mm -hmm. um, or had been taking place, I should say. So they start boogieing along in their little wagon, and about... I don't even know how far it is exactly, but in Blackfoot, Montana, they were on their way to Virginia City, Montana. Suddenly her mom started to like not be well. And they were like, oh, (laughs) it's some legit Oregon Trail shit, you know, not feeling good. Um, So they keep trying to be like, oh, you'll be fine. It's gonna, everything's gonna be great. And it was not, and she died from pneumonia. So, In the spring of 1866, the family finally got to Virginia City, but pretty much as soon as they got there, their dad was like, okay, so we got to move down to Salt Lake City, Utah, because that's where the action's happening. So they arrived down there in the summer of 1866, and Robert Canary, realizing that like prospecting is not exactly like the easiest thing to do, it's sort of like when folks are playing the lottery and all of them think they're gonna win, you know? And so he started farming to make some extra money. And again, Martha Jane probably already was like doing all the things for the family, but now she was without a mom too. So she was like full on parental role at this point and had to start looking for work, especially after their dad died the next summer. No. Yeah. So now she is the sole parent <laughs> to all of her siblings. So she's 14 now, by no. the way. But she knew she had to keep on keeping on because shit was rough in the West, you know? That's so she's like, know. dude, for reals. <laughs> she fucking loaded those kids up in a fucking wagon and sh- cruised on down to Wyoming and they got to the Wyoming Territory in 1868. Down or up? <laughs> Down. Wyoming is south of Montana. Oh, I didn't realize they were in Montana. Okay. Oh, no, you're right. They were in Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's your, like, pointing. I'm like, what are you pointing at? <laughs> up or down, Ashley? Um, so she's 15 at this point, and... I mean, that's pretty normal working age, but most of us at 15 don't have a whole fucking family to take care of that's not yours. Like, you know, that you birthed. Yeah, I was not a great worker at 15, that's for sure. Oh, hell no. I worked at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf and hated it every day and was like the biggest bitchiest goth kid in a fucking uniform you ever saw. It was a real bummer for everybody, probably. 
at 15, I was a, well, I worked every other weekend in an old folks home in the kitchen, but also right before that, I worked for a few months in a restaurant as a hostess and I basically just flirted with people the whole time. <laughs> and any people would do. <laughs> I mean, they were usually like teenaged boy people, but you know. <laughs> Perf. But you name it, this girl was doing that job. She was like, will you pay me to do it? Let's do it. And she was doing dishwashing jobs, cooking jobs, waitressing jobs, nursing jobs. She was a dance hall girl in a saloon. Heck yeah. Um, and she was even an ox team driver. Like okay. she literally did all the goddamn things. But then suddenly in 1874, she goes, hey, hey, to her family and friends. I was offered a scouting job at Fort Russell, so I got to go. And you can't come was sort of the vibe. I mean, yeah. Hello. You know, you'd be like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So she packs it up and takes off. And um, although she did actually have that job, it's, you know, when you're a, a lady getting asked to do things like that in that time, you're not making the money that some of the dudes are making. No, no, no. So she was known to do a little sex work on the side to get by. I mean, yeah. And this started to be around the time when she started slowly making her way to that Wild West frontier woman we all know and love. Yeah. And so now she's in her early 20s and she started kind of living rough and rugged out on the Great Plains. And her reputation as the woman who rode horses with men and dressed and acted like a man had started to kind of make their way around town. And she became overall a really well-known figure. She could shoot like a cowboy and drink most men under the table. And people knew about her from towns around. Martha Jane would take part in several adventures throughout this old time including but not limited to joining the Newton Jenny party to Rapid City in 1875. Uh Um, And then, as I mentioned previously, she eventually arrives to Deadwood in 1876. During her employment as a scout, she was riding out um, with a team to help. Basically, her job with the um, Newton Jenny party was she got hired to ride out the unknown territories and help map it. Right. Which is the coolest job ever. But also terrifying, but crazy so dangerous. Cool. Totally. <laughs> all of the people that already that area belonged to, well, didn't belong. They understood that you can't, well, Native Americans were not trying to let some folks come in and they were over it. Absolutely not. And that's part of her job. Um, A big part of it was also to protect the miners from the Native Americans, which, I mean, I see why you need to be protected, but also maybe just stay the fuck out. Just saying. You just don't go there. You don't. (laughs) No. Um, By these days, she was starting to be better known as the name Calamity Jane. And according to her own autobiography, she received that name after rescuing an officer with whom she was working. And this was her own words from her book. Quote, 
It was during the campaign in 1872 to 1873 that I was christened Calamity Jane. It was on Goose Creek, Wyoming, where the town of Sheridan is now located. Captain Egan was in command of the post and we were ordered out to quell an uprising of the Indians and were out for several days. There were numerous skirmishes during which at least six cult soldiers were killed, severely or severely wounded. When on returning to post, we were ambushed about a, half, a mile and a half from our destination. When fired upon, Captain Egan was shot. I was riding in advance and on hearing firing, returned my saddle and saw the captain reeling in his saddle as though he was about to fall. I turned my horse and galloped back with all haste and got up to his side just in time to catch him as he was falling. I lifted him onto my horse and, and put him in front of me and succeeded in getting him back to the fort safely. Uh, and it said, on recovering, he laughed. He said, I name you Calamity Jane, the heroine of the plains. And she said, not born that name up until the present time. <laughs> now understand that while Jane was given this lovely account of her christening, as she put it, she wasn't exactly known for being the most reliable source of information. <laughs> as she was pretty much drunk all the fucking time. She was kind of took from her mom in that regard and was like, oh, I'm just I fucked up all the time. Know. Her dad was addicted to gambling. Her mom was addicted to alcohol. I mean, it was bound to happen. Oh, yeah. You learn to cope how you learn to cope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, alcoholism came on to her pretty early on in her age. Um, and it's been alluded that folks that knew her said that her behavior, like her name actually may have come because her behavior and extreme drunkenness may have, it may have been like a joke, like here comes Glamity Jane, good old drunky pants, <laughs> which I also thought was really funny. Sad, but funny. Yeah. Uh, in June of 1876, she was apparently, <laughs> she was so drunk. She rented a horse in horse and buggy in Cheyenne, Wyoming, literally just to like, be like, I want a joyride to the next town, <laughs> which her destination was about a mile away. She was so fucked up that she passed out at the reins and ended up 90 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> like, girl, come on, we got to talk <laughs> too drunk. You might be too drunk. Oh my God. Despite her raging alcoholism, Jane was able to maintain a couple of brief relationships that resulted in her producing offspring, which I never knew that Calamity Jane had had children. It's believed that she had at least two daughters, one of whom came forward as an adult, um, which was debunked, but she claimed that she was actually fathered by um, Wild Bill Hickok. Oh. Um, both Jane and Bill denied they ever really had a relationship. In fact, it was kind of joked that, again, because she was such a shit show, that he used to be like, I tolerate her, kind of. Like, he kind of, like she kind of drove him nuts, but was always riding with him. Yeah. So that was, you know, everybody's like, there's that kind of thing. Totally. <laughs> um, however, this young lady that came forward claiming to be their kid brought a Bible that was like, signed by two ministers and all these things and they you know they, they were never able to verify that any of that ever happened or that they right like I think it is total bullshit like I think she just wanted to be famous real bad um but due to the chaotic nature of, of Jane's life it is possible that she is Jane's daughter 
but not the Hick, not Bill right. Hickok's kid. Yeah. Um, but because she was so chaotic, like Jane, basically, if she popped out a kid, she would be like, anybody want this baby? I don't want it. <laughs> like she was just it. like, here you go. No, yeah. No, no want it. Here you go. I made you something. <laughs> I got you this thing. Good day. Uh, <laughs> Although Calamity Jane's life was incredibly chaotic and to most degrees were her own doing. Yeah. You know, chaotic because she couldn't help herself. Um, she was also a legitimate hero on multiple occasions. She saved several passengers' lives in a stagecoach when the driver was killed while being chased by Native Americans. She... Oh evidently jumped in took the reins and rode the coach back and saved the all the passengers including the person that was shot Um, but she rode it back to deadwood so she was doing some real crazy wild west cowboy shit out there yeah between 1876 and 1878 she also helped nurse many of the victims of a smallpox epidemic that swept through the deadwood area and through the dakotas that's you know you hear about smallpox blanket smallpox oh yes yeah but um she stayed and helped nurse a lot of people through that in 1881 jane purchased a ranch in montana and tried her hand at running an inn which i was like girl why why would you think you can settle down why did you think that was a thing that was going to happen for you (laughs) and after this time she ended up meeting a man from texas named clinton burke and Turns out that the innkeeping life was not for her. However, she moved to Texas briefly, still thinking that maybe it was, maybe it's just where I am. Maybe it's not me. Maybe it's the city. Went somewhere else. Turns out it was her. (laughs) And in, (laughs) so in 1893, when the opportunity presented itself for her to make some money, um, appearing in live performances with the Buffalo Bills Wild West show that toured. That I knew about, yeah. She jumped at the chance. She was like, oh, thank Christ, save me from my in-working life. I can't (laughs) do this. In 1903, Jane returned to the Black Hills area um, where she was employed by an old friend because, again, her alcoholism was, like, off the rails. Like, even, so she would be doing the, um wild bill show and legit like new york city new yorkers were like get that bitch out of here because she was like i'm gonna cause a scene and scream at people and break shit and you know just being fucking crazy so they were you know eventually she realized like i can't do this anymore so she was like all right i'm gonna go back and visit an old employer slash friend named madame dora dufran mm-hmm. and work cooking and cleaning and doing laundry for all the girls in the brothel. Hmm. And after all of the wild journeys that Jane underwent, she had her last when she tried to hop a train to Terry, South Dakota, which is just outside of Deadwood, and apparently had been drinking quite a bit that day Hmm. and suddenly found herself not feeling very well on the train. And with the help of a conductor and some random folks in the village that literally had to carry her off the train because she was so fucked up. They found her a little room in the Callaway Hotel where she sadly passed away on August 4th, August 1st, 1903 from inflammation of the bowels and pneumonia. 
Mm. Like you have to really be drinking a lot for your bowels to be like, no more. Eh. So bad. Yeah, that's yikes. In a fun and interesting turn of events, Calamity Jane was buried at Mount Moriah Cemetery right next to Bill Hickok, which is apparently Jane's final request, (laughs) which I thought was real funny. She was like, oh, I'm going to drive him crazy even in death. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's cool. (laughs) I, I just was like, I'm fascinated this is a real person. And then it like, you know, when I was reading about her, I just kept thinking like, this could be like your great grandmother or like, you know, what were my great, great grandparents doing at that time? Did they, you know, did they meet them? And, you know, there's just so many strange things at that time. At that time, on my dad's side, one set was in Norway, the other set was in Germany. On my mom's side, they were all here, but they were doing, you know, like the whole part of history, white American history that we don't love, which is, you know, having slaves and plantations and not awesome things. I, um, so my mom's family, the first generation moved, they're like, um, Scandinavian, Irish, you know, kind of Northern European mutts on that side, but they were actually from Austria. Oh, um, but their first generation arrived in, in Iowa in 1901. Oh, um, so that's, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that's as much as I know. And it like, to be honest, the town is so fucking small still currently. Uh-huh. Um, but they kind of all just like stayed there and bought a bunch of farms. And then like some of the, you know, my mom's generation, for example, through the military and things like that branched mm-hmm. out. Um, but all still would go back to Iowa for holidays and yeah, family reunions and stuff. But my dad's family, I actually don't really know anything about. Yeah. And I'm, I've seen pictures and I only can assume that they were a bunch of wild west hooligans, but it's hard to know. Yeah. My, um, my mom's mom's side, they came over like hit Plymouth Rock, like those assholes. <laughs> they were part of that. <laughs> um, but my mom's dad's side, they were like uh, German, Irish, and English. And they um, settled in Nebraska and there is still a family ranch there that my great aunt and uncle are still semi-maintaining. We got that going on in Iowa too. I actually know the, that family still like by name, Uh like they know me by name. I've thought about, but it's, I haven't been there since I was 10, but I've thought about being like road trip and going out there and just checking it out, you know? Mm. Beer slash Midwest roots road trip 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Seattle on tap, the roots yeah. tour. Yeah. <laughs> the brutes tour. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Hit up breweries and really crazy watering holes all along the way and then go to these weird ranches that our family has been to i would love it that'd be awesome <laughs> i think i would love it i was a little traumatized um as a young kid going out to the farm um because well first of all day one i grew up in orange county and day one, they put warm ass milk on the table. And I was like, I'm sorry, there's milk, it's warm. <laughs> and they're like, it's fresh. And I was like, gross. Um, and then we went to tour the farm and then they were explaining like some things about beef cattle that I was traumatized to hear uh -huh. and how they make blood sausage, which traumatized me also. And I was like, Oh, cool. So I'm never going to eat meat again. <laughs> As a little kid. And I kind of never liked it. That's, I'm probably, it's probably, that's why. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. My, my poppy's family raised cattle too. Yeah. I think they do soybeans mostly now, but mm. I'm not real sure. The alternating years of soybeans and corn. <laughs> I'm well aware. I'm well versed. Thank you. Thanks for all the tofu. <laughs> mm. Oh man. Oh. That's fun. That was a fun story. Um, after I traumatized everyone. Yeah, it kind of worked out well because so. next week um, I have um, I had a request for a story. Yeah. And I will be doing that. And it is not lighthearted. And that'll probably be a trend for a while. So got to get them where you can, you guys. Yeah. The most mellow it's going to get for a while. I, I don't have my story for next week nailed down, but uh, we'll see what happens. I have a few options that I might end up doing one of them, or I might end up just being like, never mind. I'm going to switch it last minute. We could have an extra, extra heavy episode. Yeah. Everybody's like, skip it next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll edit that out and nobody will know. Oh, I also wanted to um, thank Blix for his <laughs> little additions last week. Contributions. Oh my goodness. I kept, I've been getting comments about like, I didn't know what the hell that noise was. I know. And then I realized so funny to me, we decided to just roll with it. Cause it was really funny. Yeah, it was funny. And, um, you know, we're just this little podcast that could. Mm -hmm. so. Thank you for supporting our, um, hobby and our not so raging alcoholism. Yeah. Oh, and I wanted to give a little hello shout out to a friend of mine from way back in the day from high school that I haven't talked to in forever. I found out recently that she listens to the podcast. So hi, Shelly. Hmm. Hello. Um, yeah. So 
super excited to hear that she is supporting us too. We appreciate it. Yeah. And as we haven't said in a while, if you do have requests or there's stories that you're just like, how have you bitches not told the story yet? Email us. Yeah. Email us. Um, Stay tuned. You'll hear all of our contact info, but also Instagram. You could DM us. Mm -hmm. Show can. Yep. All right. Well, um, until next week, drink good local beer. You're welcome for the nightmares. (laughs) For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap email at Seattle on tap at gmail.com or our website, Seattle on tap.com. You can also like us on Facebook and all of the Seattle on tap original music is provided by bubble bathism courtesy of the Subterranot recording collective. Mm-hmm.